You are listening to a White Ridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Wasn't that a beautiful prayer? I need thee every hour. And uh, I hope that's true for all of us, that on a regular basis we understand our need of God. Uh, I'm so happy that our church has the privilege of going and helping our brothers and sisters in Christ in India. Uh, Yesterday we welcomed the team back home and we're looking forward to hearing the stories of how they were able to be a blessing to uh, the Christians there and also how they were blessed by it. But what really encourages me is that here are men and women of Christ who understand their need of God and say, I want to grow in God and I need help to do that. And so they ask for help and then God provides and we're part of that provision. And I pray for us that our hearts will never grow satisfied in the depth of relationship we have with God, that we will continually want to grow deeper and deeper with him. And as we go through every book of the Bible, that we realize that the purpose of reading scripture is to come to know Christ and his full richness, and that we can become more and more like him. At the end of the day, whatever we're doing when it comes to discipleship, it's always about Christ. And so the simple answer is, what does it mean to be a Christian? It's Christ. But the lifelong learning is understanding who Christ is and what he means for our lives to be transformed, to, come, to become more like him. And in the eight, nine weeks that we've been taking through Philippians, we found out a few core things. First of all, we found out that we are supposed to have our confidence in Christ, that we are supposed to find our life in Christ, that together we have unity in Christ, that Christ is the one who transforms our lives and that we find our righteousness in Jesus Christ. Knowing Christ is what it means to be a disciple. I want to know who Christ is. I want to know the power of his death and resurrection. And last week we talked about the fact that we're supposed to rejoice in Christ. All these wonderful benefits are beautiful when they're connected to Jesus Christ. We don't pursue them on their own. We pursue Christ, and he makes those things happen in our life. And today, as we get to the last portion of Philippians, we're going to be talking about what it means to be content in Christ. So I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles right now to Philippians 4, and we're going to be reading verses 10 to 23. And as you're finding your place in your Bible, I just want to let you know that there's only a few verses here that specifically talk about contentment. But what Paul says is that he's learned the secret of being content. And I believe in the other verses, we see glimpses of what he's learned by the way he interacts and the way that he speaks to the Philippians that he loves and cares for. So that's what we're going to be looking at today are the insights that we can gain about contentment in Christ. So please stand with me as we read the scripture. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you lack the opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet... It was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I was sent from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except for you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credit to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphrodites the gifts that you sent. 
They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. May God add the blessing to his word. Please be seated. So I think the first insight we gain about finding contentment in Christ is that we need to focus on God's praise, that our role in life is to give God praise in each and every situation. This is a letter of thanksgiving to the Philippians for remembering him, for showing renewed concern. But Paul says, I rejoice, why in the Lord? I rejoice in the Lord that once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but you lacked the opportunity to show it. Uh, I don't believe here that Paul in any way is giving a rebuke to the Philippians for not caring for him. I think it was just reality. For whatever reason, they had lost touch with him. He was traveling around a lot. It's not like they had the internet or Skype or cell phones. They had lost connection. And now he says, I'm so thankful to God that we've been reunited. And thankfulness to God for their fellowship is throughout Philippians. It starts off by saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. Five verses later, it says, I miss you and I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. I miss you. There was some distance between them. Life has a way of bringing disappointment, and it's not always on purpose. It sometimes just happens. And people will always fall short. We'll always fall short of our hopes or our expectations or our intentions of what we'd like to do. Sometimes reality just doesn't let us follow through. And what we need to remember is that God says in those times, remember that I am faithful, that I am always with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And in the right moments, I will send your brothers and sisters in Christ to also be in fellowship with you. So Paul knows that he doesn't get too caught up in just praising them for reconnecting. He says, I praise God that you have renewed your concern for me. And that's very important for us to remember. Last week, Azar mentioned in uh, verses 4 to 7, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The key to contentment is saying, I have my focus on the Lord and I will rejoice in him no matter what is around me. I will rejoice in the Lord. The rest of those verses say, Be not anxious about anything, but in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. If you want to be content in Christ, when you have concerns, when you have needs, with a thankful heart, present them to God, saying, God, I'm thankful I don't have to handle this alone. I'm thankful that I can give this to you. And I trust your provision. I trust your care. I praise you because you are more than sufficient to take care of everything. So if you're struggling with contentment, focus on gratitude. Start being more and more aware of how gracious God is in your life. And let that turn into praise for who he is. Not just for what he's given you, but for who he is. And that will instill in our hearts contentment in the person who's given his life for us and who we find life in. But... If we're honest, sometimes it's very, very hard to have a thankful heart. Sometimes my heart feels quite empty. 
Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, when you're doing the will of God, when you're living in his strength and you're living according to his purpose, then he says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Whatever our circumstances, they might not be joyful, we might not feel all that happy, but God says, don't complain, don't be bitter, give it to me. And as you're doing that, you will become pure, you will become blameless, you're living out from the reality of who Jesus is, and you will find a contentment there. And don't try to do it in your own strength. Be sure that what you're presenting to the world isn't just your best you on your effort. What you're presenting to the world is the word of God the life of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit in us who indwells in us. And as we go, he's with us. And he says, I want to use you to impact this world. We're holding out the word of life. And as we do that, we find, wow, Lord, even though my circumstances are hard, I find contentment in the fact that my life can be a praise offering to you and that you work in me freely. So I have a question for you in this regard. To what are you drawn when you feel empty inside? We, we're always bound to worship something. And unfortunately, often it's not God. We look for pleasure. We look for contentment. We look for fulfillment. And when I'm in those places where I feel empty, what is it that I turn to instead of God to bring me life? And then how, when I know that I'm going into those situations because there's red flags in my life that tell me, Doug, you're going on that road again. You're ending to a wrong destination. What can I do during those times before they happen as I know that they're about to? What can I do to help me find contentment in Christ? To take my eyes off of the thing that would draw me away and then rather to pursue whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is true. And to pursue righteousness. And when I pursue that, I'm praising God. And then I find contentment. It's not a simple thing to do. It's simple to hear, but it's very hard to do in life when we see ourselves going the snowball away from God. But God says, Doug, guys, put your eyes on me. Don't just say, I don't want to do this. What do you want to do? How can you praise the Lord with your life? The next insight we gain into contentment is talking about God's power and how we need to rely on it. This is verses 11 to 13. The first thing Paul says after saying, I know that you haven't been able to meet these needs up till now. He says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Well, the word content here, the word generally as we talk about content means to to be happy, to be satisfied. Uh, When Paul was writing, the Stoic philosophy would be that content means to be self-sufficient. Uh, more or less in a prideful way, that you have a detachment from the world. I can be, an, I, I, I can be uh, sufficient on my own. I don't need anyone else. Paul uses that exact same word, and it's only used once in the New Testament. So he uses the exact same word to say, I am self-sufficient as I depend on Jesus Christ. And depending on Christ, he provides everything I need to be self-sufficient. So he uses that word. So whatever the circumstances... So a question that we can ask ourselves is, if I'm struggling with contentment, if I'm not sure about why my heart is unsettled, when I'm in a situation, do I really believe that God is enough? Do I really believe God is sufficient? I think unless we're able to answer yes genuinely in the question, we're always going to go the wrong way. We're going to be looking for life apart from him. But God says, no, I am enough. So Paul goes on to say that, 
He knows the secret of contentment. Verse 12, I know both to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. When he says, I have learned, it doesn't mean that he read a book and now he knows the answer. It means that he's gone through life. He's gone through enough high spots and low spots that God has taught him what it means to be content. And here he's specifically talking about financial economic situations. He's talking about food and finances. And these are the pairings. We see three separate pairings here. We see, I can be content whether I have a little or a lot. I am content whether I am well fed or whether I'm hungry. I can be content when I have an abundance or whether I am in need. And I find it interesting. I don't know if Paul was thinking this, but in his three pairings, you see the things that would be considered pleasant, being having a lot, well-fed abundance, or having little, or having hard times, little, hungry, need. And in the first pairing, he places the, the hard thing first. He says, I can be content when it's little or if I have a lot. But then the next two times he says, and I can be content even when I'm well-fed or when I'm hungry or when I have an abundance, or when I'm in need. And I think, at least the point I get from this, is that my circumstances with finances can never give me contentment. I can pursue whatever. I can say, oh, I have nothing. I sure wish I had something. Or I have a lot, and I can say, wow, I wish I had more. Money will never bring me contentment. You can either serve God or money. So if you want to be content in Christ, you have to make sure that money has its right place and that it's used and seen as being a steward of God, that you use it in honor of him. Oh, there you go. I highlighted them there. So yeah, so this is the idea that if you think that you can find contentment through material goods or, or just satisfaction in life, you're not going to do it by pursuing anything else other than Jesus Christ. So a question here is, in what circumstances have I been drawn closer to Christ? When you think of your financial circumstances, when you've had a lot or when you've had a little, what's been better for you in your relationship with God? And then note this, that whatever draws you closer to Christ, that's the good thing. And I wouldn't be surprised if for a lot of us, it's been when we've been struggling that we've drawn closer to God. Uh, We offer a class, and we're going to offer it in January, most likely called Understanding Your Story with Christ. It helps you look through your past to see how God has always been calling you to himself. And the realization that often when we look at events, we say, oh, that was, a, that was a really positive event. Oh, that was a negative event. Then in Christ, those terms don't mean much. That's either, wow, that was a pleasant event where I grew closer to Christ, or that was a hard event where I got closer to Christ. And we'll find out that most of the time, it's the hard things in life that initially draw us to Christ. And then in his grace, maybe we can still enjoy some good things and be mindful of him. But if you're like me, when you go on a holiday, I seem to think about Christ less than when I'm going through a hardship. I want to be thinking about Christ all the time. He wants us to be thinking about him all the time because that's where contentment is. Paul says earlier on in Philippians, he says that everything about my past, my whole resume, all the things that I've accomplished, rubbish, junk, nothing. I don't care about it. It's nothing to me as far as knowing I need to know Jesus Christ. I try to do all those things on my own. They looked impressive to the world, but they don't want to bring me life. They brought me death. They took me down the wrong road. Jesus had to stop me on a road saying, Paul, Paul, why are you fighting against me? What? I thought I was doing these things for you, Lord. No, you weren't. You weren't thinking about me. You were, your, your, your life wasn't grounded in me then. You were doing it apart from me. Lord, help us not to be 
in that situation where we're self-deceived by what's motivating us or where we grow. So Paul says a bold declaration here. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Beautiful statement, often misused. And it's often used in context where it's not, it's not saying, hey, you know what, I want to go do this and praise the Lord, I can do it because God is with me. That's not what he's saying. It doesn't mean that at all. What he's saying is in these circumstances of good and hard where finances is a, a, an issue, it doesn't matter because I can do everything through God who gives me strength. A verse that helps kind of give us the context of this is where in Philippians 2 verse 13 it says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what? To do what pleases him. That's what God gives us strength for, to do what pleases him, to live in his will. An illustration of this would be a train on a train track. As long as the train is on the track, you can be sure that God's going to put the coal in the engine or whatever makes it run, and it's going to be the strength to go through whatever obstacles, whatever you see the tracks coming to, God will give you the strength to move forward into it. You can be sure of that. You can count on that. And I did a track here that kind of goes different directions because, of course, there's only one way to eternal life through Jesus Christ. But in this world, from our perspective as we're pursuing God, sometimes we have options and we're like, Lord, which one do you want me to do? And God just says, as long as you're moving in faith and trusting me and asking me to guide me, just move ahead and I'll direct you. I'll guide you. And you can have contentment in that. You can find peace in that. So a question here is, what lessons have you learned about contentment that shape how you live today? When you look back over your life, what has God taught you about contentment that has shaped who you have become today? When I think about the topic of God's power, the first thing that comes to mind is the power that God has over sin and death and how that's impacted my life, knowing that I'm forgiven, that I live as a, as a freely forgiven person who lives in the grace of God. That confession, the idea that when I confess I'm forgiven has changed my life immensely. But the thing that's really changed is that confession and celebration really need to go close together. I want to have short accounts with God. I know that when I sin that I'm still in his grace, but I've put something between me and his Holy Spirit. I've stifled the Holy Spirit from working in me because of willful sin. So I need to confess that so that that's cleared out and I can fully appreciate and live in the relationship with Christ. But I also need to celebrate I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes when I've sinned, when I've flubbed up, I, I go to bed and, oh, Lord, forgive me. I just, I messed up. Big. I don't know how I did that. I just messed up again. Forgive me. And then I wake up in the morning and one of the first thoughts is, oh, Lord, forgive me. And it just kind of sticks with me for a while. And this happened not that long ago. And, and as I was driving here, then all of a sudden it was just a little prompting on my heart. Doug, it's time to start praising me. You keep asking me for doing something I've already done. I forgave you right away. Don't keep asking me because that just sounds like you need. You already have. So celebrate. And boom, right then that changes my day. Oh, Lord, forgive me that I kept asking you to forgive me. You did already. (laughs) Right? Isn't that a game changer though? Doesn't that change how you view life? That God is so gracious that we live in his constant forgiveness and he wants us to celebrate his graciousness to us. So when we move on to God's provisions, how does God provide for us and how does that impact our contentment? Paul says in verse 14, and we'll read to 15, still you did well by sharing with me in my hardships. 
And you Philippians know that in the early days, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. Paul never specifically thanks the Philippians for their money, their gift. He always thanks God for that. And he acknowledges that through the people, God provided. And what Paul says here, more than thanking about money, he says, I thank you, and he says this in Philippians 1 verse 5, for sharing with me as being partners in the gospel. You didn't just hear the gospel, take it in and say, now I'm going to live how I want. You heard it, and now you want to live it out. And part of your living out is supporting me so that I can go and spread the gospel to places where you can't go. Thank you for being partners with me in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's hugely important. I, uh, back in 2010, our church sent out our first mission team. We went to Brazil. There was an organization through our conference called Chain of Love, which stands for Christian Homes uh, for Infants in Need of Love. And uh, we decided that we were going to send 10 people there, six youth and four adults. And uh, similar to our trips now, the cost was about $3,500. This was 2001. And uh, we decided as a church that we'd raise $1,000 per person to help for the cost. So it's $10,000. So it was a reasonable concern and a question to say, couldn't that $10,000 be better used just giving it to Chain of Love rather than sending our people to go there? That was a legitimate question. So I thought the best way to answer that is to call our missionaries, Ken and Gerilyn, and ask them their thoughts. How would you like us to approach this? And he said, first of all, Doug, when people have said that, and they have in the past, we usually what happens is no one comes and no money comes. Let's <laughs> do the reality. The other thing he said is, you coming and being with us is, far, is worth far more than $10,000. You coming and having fellowship with us, seeing the ministry that God has given us, the children that we care for, walking alongside our foster parents who care for them, that is hugely valuable to us. Please, please come. I think that's what Paul's expressing too. The money's good, but man, I'm, I'm glad that, that we are in relationship, that God has called us to be partners. And, and that money is, is an act of worship on your behalf. And that's what this next verse goes into. Verse 17 and reading into 18. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphrodites uh, what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice that is pleasing to God. So Paul's saying, you know what? I want you to be careful. I I just want you to know I really want to stress this that I'm not working for money for the gospel. He didn't take money from the Corinthian church because the Corinthians had accused him of saying, well, you're, you're preaching to have profit. He said, you know what? If that's the case, I'll be a tent maker. I'm gonna, I'll pay my own way so that you can't charge me of that. But with the Philippians, he knew that it was different. They saw a partnership there and that their finances of helping him was an actual an offering to God. He wanted to remind them, you're not giving money to me. You're giving money to God. And this is the way God is going to use it. And so the one who provides is God. And let's praise him for the way that he allows us to be part of his mission on earth. So a question here is, how are you worshiping God with your finances? Another way of saying that is, how are you pleasing God with what he's given you? Do you think about that? The material possessions you have, God wants you to please him with it. He wants you to use it in such a way that he's honored, that he's glorified. And when you do that, you find a different level of contentment because you don't find, you find that you're not attached to the things anymore. Uh, that, that's, that's huge for us. You know, a, a number of years ago, 
I took our youth through a book called The Hardest 30 Days of Your Life. And it was a hard 30 days. They had to sacrifice things like media for, for the whole month. On day 13, what they did was, I have to give up what? And it said, you know what? I don't want to give up money. I don't want you to give up something that's valuable monetarily. I want you to look around your room and I want you to see something that you treasure because of memory. And now, whoa, and now I want you to give that away. Because sometimes we get attached to stuff. And, and sometimes what we need to do is learn that stuff is all going to fade away. And maybe there's someone else who could benefit from this stuff. So what's some things in your life that you say, wow, I'm really attached to that. I don't think I could get rid of it. I'm not saying God's saying get rid of it, but he might. He might say, why are you so attached to it? Give it away to someone else who might use it and see it as a gift from God. You, you're, too, you're too attached to your stuff when you have a, a big shipping cargo thing of stuff in it that you don't use every now and then, you know? So um, anyways, and then the next question is this. What does sacrificial giving look like for you? And note that sacrificial and generous are two different things. You could give very generously, but it doesn't have to be sacrificial, right? Sacrificial would be more that, wow, this is something I really treasure. I'm going to give it away. Generous, if you have the means, you can be generous and it doesn't have to be a sacrifice. So ask that question. What does it look like for you to be sacrificial and then to find contentment in God as you let go of stuff and simplify life. Paul says, My God, my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. When you give away, you don't have to worry that you're not going to have enough, as if God's provisions would ever be exhausted. No, if you give away, you can trust that God will give you everything you need, not everything you greed after, right? It's like, this is what I need, God will give it to me. Not all your wants, not all your desires, but what you need. He'll give you those things. And, and a key word here is that Paul says, my God. He knows who he has faith in. He has a personal relationship with the person who he trusts for the promise, you could put your faith in a lot of things and get the similar type of feeling. You could put your faith in a rabbit's foot. You could put your, say, oh, the rabbit's foot's going to do this for me. That's the feeling of faith. But faith is only important based on what it rests on, who it rests in. And, faith, and, and Paul says, I put my faith in my God who's revealed in Scripture, who I know to be Jesus Christ. And I know that he will follow through. That's how we know that we can have contentment because God is more than able to meet our needs. And Paul says one of his goals, his biggest goal in life, is that I may know him. Is that your biggest goal today? When you think of today and the things you want to accomplish, is knowing Christ on the top of that list? We need to think about this regularly. Lord, in this hour, when I'm at work, when I'm at school, when I'm with my friends, is my aim to know you? Or am I just so distracted now that I might think about you before I go to bed? Oh, help us to know you all the time, Lord, to be living in communion with you. So then Paul says a little doxology, I'd almost say. He says, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. In the verse before, he says, God's going to provide out of his glorious riches, which means the glory there means out of God's character, out of his essence, out of his being, God will provide. But here glory means praise. God is worthy of all our praise forever and ever. Uh, there's a, a beautiful uh, word, that it, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, they have like 107 questions. And the first question, I believe, what is the chief end of man? 
And the first answer to that is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Wow. Like, if, if I could just keep that simple truth, like, you know, put it on my forehead, on my hands somehow, that I just remember, this is what I'm meant to do. That would be wonderful. God is meant to be glorified. And that's where I find contentment when I focus on him. And if I don't do that, I won't be content. I'm going to feel empty. I'm going to feel like I'm just running all over the place. This is the key to finding peace in God, is to focus on him and to enjoy him forever. I'm also excited, or or, or I find it interesting. Paul said, my God will supply all your needs. And now he changes to our God. He at first talks about this is my God. I know he'll do it. But I also know that we share the belief in the same God because it's our God who we need to glorify. And that takes us into our fourth point is that we celebrate and we, we engage with God's people. That's another way that we find contentment when we find a place to belong in God's people. And the last part of the chapter, we could easily you know, just glance over because, well, this is the ending, right? But Paul, all word is useful for teaching and instructing and training in righteousness. So there's something here for us to find out. So here Paul says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Those brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those from Caesar's household. I think it's amazing that, that Paul knows that he's writing to a diverse group, some people who aren't seeing eye to eye, some people who haven't reached the place of maturity yet that they really are seeking God fully, that they want to know him. Paul says, you know what, if you're not thinking that way yet, eventually God will bring your thought life to reflect that. But regardless of where we stand, we're still all worshiping the same God. We're all at different places. And I greet you all. I care about every one of you. And all the brothers and sisters that I'm with, they want to greet you as well. And then he tells them, for the Philippian believers who are in a a Roman city, lots of them are Roman citizens, they're in an environment where they're probably the minority. They might be worried about their safety because of the Roman culture, and now they've become Christians. What does this mean for us? Can you imagine how encouraging it would be to say, whoa, even in Caesar's household, there's people who believe in God. God can work anywhere. And those are my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a source of contentment. When we know that we are united in Christ, that there's a bond of unity that nothing else can destroy. There's a verse in Philippians, we referred to it already, where it says, don't grumble or complain, but be blameless, be pure, be righteous, so that your life shines like stars. Uh, This last Thursday, we were talking in Discipleship Explored about what this means. And I think this is a beautiful illustration of the church. Because when you go outside on a dark night and you see the majesty of the stars... You don't really get caught up on any one star. You don't say, oh, look at that star is bigger than that star. You might want to look for a constellation or something. But for the most part, you look at the majesty of the heavens and your mind is drawn to the God who created that. Similar in our church, there's people who shine different ways, but it's not like, wow, like there's the, look at all these believers. Someone must have made this unity. Someone must have made this love. Who did that? It's God. God's the one who brought the church together. And when the people see it, they shouldn't be thinking so much of just individuals. They see the church. And Peter says, we all, we all have a bond together. Let's greet each other in love. So the question I have for you in this regard is who do you love deeply because of Christ? Not just who do you love deeply, but because of Christ, who do you love deeply? As I was looking for a logo for Chain of Love, 
I, I read an article that the church that is their home church got destroyed this last January. Big windstorm came and blew the whole church down. You know what? I don't know any person in this picture. I haven't been there for 14 years, and my heart just sank. Right away, I just started praying, oh, Lord, please provide for them. Please care for them. I know Ken's not there anymore. Please give them a lead pastor. There's a bond that, that just doesn't end because we know that we're connected in Jesus Christ. Last night, I was going home, and I was uh, cashing in a free cheeseburger from McDonald's. And uh, as I went through the drive-thru, the girl there had her sleeve down to here, and I could see a little bit of writing on her arm. And I just asked her, so what does your tattoo say? And she, uh, she rolled it up, and she said, well, I did this in, in honor of my grandparents. And it says, until we meet again. And uh, as I was driving to pick up the burger, I was thinking, wow, you know, that's a beautiful thing to say if you, if you know where you're going to be meeting them, and if you know that it's going to be with Christ in heaven. Uh, the years that I was on my first missions trips back in the early 90s before the internet was widely used and it was more fax machines, you'd get these really tight connections with people in very short periods of time, three weeks of ministry together, month and a half. You just have this really close bond. And then as you leave, you know that you're most likely never going to see each other again. You know, you might write a letter, but for the most part, you didn't have the same access. And it became common for us in all our excursions to genuinely say, with joy, we'll see you in heaven. That's a powerful thing. When you meet someone and you know that this is maybe a short-term relationship here, but we have eternity together yet. Praise God for that. There's contentment to be found in relationships that will last eternity. So the final thing, and these are the last words of Paul, they're words of grace. And grace are the bookends of Philippians. His last words are, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And the first words of this book in Philippians 1 were, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All discipleship rests on the grace of God. Every good thing rests on the grace of God. And God freely gives that, but he wants us to respond to his grace. Last week too, we heard from Philippians 4 verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and then the God of peace will be with you. You want to have contentment, peace, joy? Listen to the word of God. Observe it in the life of others who follow him. And then be resolved to put it into practice, trusting that you can do all things through God who strengthens you. And there will be much blessing for you, for others, and it will bring glory to God. So as we close today, one final question. How would continually living in God's grace instill contentment in your life? Being mindful of it, really mindful that I need God's grace now in every situation I face. I need to rely on the grace of God. And when I don't, I'm already going in the wrong direction in this day. So as we spend some time to close in prayer, just a reminder that There's a few things here, I think, just from these few verses, insights that we can gain. That we should focus on God's praise. That we can rely on God's power. That we can trust in God's provision. That we can celebrate and love God's people. And that we need to experience and we need to live in God's grace. And so with those things, please stand with me and we're closing prayer. Father, 
Paul has told us that there's one thing that we should have as our goal in life, and that is to know you and the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings, and that we can live, Lord, with you for your glory. And so, Lord, as a church, that's our desire. We pray, Lord, that you continually put in our hearts a desire to know you more, a deeper hunger for your word, a better understanding of what it means to walk in your spirit, to live in your grace. Lord, we want to be people who don't just search for the benefits of, that you offer. We want you, Lord, and we want you to just grow the fruit naturally from us, Lord, whether that's peace, joy, contentment. Lord, we know all those things will come when we get this thing right when we focus on you as our greatest treasure. So today, Lord, we celebrate you, and we ask that you help us to be mindful of you and obedient to you throughout this week. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Have a great week.